I'll tell you. And I just go like this, and it's right on every time. So when they got a new king, if they had a king with a little foot, it messed everybody up. But they always tried to keep it where they're 12 inches in the foot because 12 is divisible by 1, by 2, by 3, by 4, by 6, and by 12. And so when you're building and you use the number 12, it's like the perfect construction number. John's a fisherman. He wasn't an architect. He got this information from God. Just like God gave Noah the plans for the ark, and they found out the dimensions, the ratio of the ark, it's the same ratio they use for oil tankers. It's a very stable ratio. How did Noah know that? They had no oceans back then. God is the master architect. Can you say amen? Twelve gates. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. Something else you'll notice as we look at the different minerals, and let's read Revelation 21, verse 12. And the street of the city was pure gold. You were still with me? You've heard of the golden streets? It's real. Now, that's why some people say, oh, now this has just got to be a metaphor. Well, the Bible says it's better than you can imagine. I mean, we pave our streets with asphalt or stone. God has no shortage of gold. You realize he made it. He can make as much as he wants. He's got the factory. And so it's not a problem for him. Don't underestimate what God can do. The other thing is that um, you want streets that are durable. One of the most durable minerals they have is gold. When they found King Tut's tomb in, uh, was it 1922, Howard Carter, he looked inside and he shone a light in there. And they said, do you see anything? And he looked at the undisturbed tomb. The seal had not been broken to the king's burial. And the glint of gold was everywhere because even after 3,000 years, the gold was still shining. It's an incredible material. You don't notice there's any wood. Nothing has to die in this city to build. God is making it out of minerals. What does the Bible say about the city's water and food supply? Answer, he showed me a pure river, a water of life. You know, Jesus, he offers us that water of life. He told the woman at the well, you're coming for this water, but you're going to get thirsty again. But the water that I'm offering you, you drink it, and it will be inside you as an artesian well that will continue to spring up and satisfy your thirst. She said, oh, Lord, give me that water now. He revealed to her he was the Messiah. By the way, the Lord is offering you that living water. You can also read, even in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about a river. And how big is the river? You read in Ezekiel, when he's describing the river in heaven, he says he walked out into it, and he goes out like, you know, 100 yards, and it's up to his ankles, and he keeps going out, and it's up to his knees, and he keeps going out, and it's up to his thighs, and it just keeps going and going, and it gets deeper and deeper, and then finally he said it's a river that one cannot cross without swimming. So think of the biggest rivers that we have in the world today. Uh, the longest is the Amazon, though the people in Africa argue because there's some technicalities about how they measure. Uh, otherwise, it would be the Nile. Karen and I, a couple of years ago, were in uh, Uganda. We went to the source of the Nile River. That was really something. And uh, these long rivers, these Amazon pushes fresh water out into the ocean 100 miles. It's got so much water coming out of it. At its mouth, the Amazon, the Mississippi, they're miles wide. So when you get to heaven and there's a river that is irrigating the planet, how big do you think it is? Think big. Picture for a minute a river that's 50 miles across and flowing from the throne of God. How big is God? So there'll be no drought in heaven. We're going to have plenty of water. You know, 
for those that are watching here in California, water is a sensitive issue. Uh, we're, we're getting more and more regulation about water because it seems like you know, we've had droughts and there's been a shortage and it's so nice when you go somewhere and you can turn on the tap and just let it run because the water's just bubbling out of the ground. And uh, there'll be an abundance of water. You'll be able to wash your car every day if you want to in heaven. And won't have to worry about rationing. Amen? So there's going to be that river of life. What about the food? On either side of the river, now notice carefully, either side of the river was the tree, singular, not trees, the tree of life. Always in the Bible when it talks about the tree of life, and it's mentioned several places, it's singular. A tree on both sides of the river. How do you reconcile that? Well, they actually have some trees that will grow together in their branches. I've seen it before. Trees that grow up, the branches touch, they actually graft themselves together, they grow together. And I picture this massive tree, if the river's 50 miles wide, you better figure a big tree. Of course, everybody in the world's got to eat from this tree, so it's got to be big. And roots probably go together under the river. And um, it has the fruit that helps perpetuate life. Man has not eaten from that tree since God evicted Adam and Eve from the garden, but it will be restored. You know, one of the wonderful things about the Bible is in the first three chapters of the Bible, you learn how man lost eternity because he got mixed up with a snake in a garden. First three chapters, man is evicted from the garden. You get to Revelation, the snake is destroyed and man is restored to the garden and the tree of life in the last three chapters. The whole book is telling us how to get back to the garden. Amen? And it's through Jesus. It says, the seed of the woman is the one who will destroy the serpent. That actually happens in Revelation. It tells us that this is some kind of tree. Each tree yields its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, people say, well, first of all, it's fruit every month. And if there's 12 different kinds of fruit and there's 12 months in a year, how many kinds of fruit is that? 12 times 12, 144. Another number you're going to find is the 144,000. I used to work at Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins is famous for what? 31 flavors. And they've got way more than 31 flavors. They promised to have 31 flavors at all time. At least they did when I worked there. They got hundreds of flavors. Whatever your favorite food is, there will be some fruit that you're really going to like there at the tree. The menu will never get boring. And we're going to gather and you're going to say, oh, try this. It's like salsa. You're going to like this fruit. Everyone's going to be, I like salsa. You're going to be tasting all kinds of different fruit. But then it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Healing? I thought there's no more sickness. Who needs healing? Does it say healing of sickness or healing of nations? Nations. Do you realize that people all around the world are divided now by nations? People are divided by culture, race, language. But as we all come together as the children of God, redeemed by Christ around that tree and eat the fruit, all of the divisions that have separated us are healed at that point. Can you say amen? And so it's, it's a beautiful poetic way of saying everyone is going to be healed of all the divisions from this earth little amazing fact about trees this is the baobab tree in Africa, it's in Africa, it's in Australia it's in Madagascar they call it the tree of life because during the rainy season it soaks up lots of water and during the dry season it provides animals with water, they usually dig holes in it 
They're able to get the spongy pulp and get water out of it. It's got fruit called monkey bread that you can eat. The pollen turns into a glue. The the bark can be made into a tea. They also use the plant to make cloth, and the, the leaves can be used to make material. It's just the tree does so many different things. It's like the coconut tree. The pilots during World War Two, they said, if you got shot down in the Pacific, try and get to an island with coconut trees because it is a tree of life. And I know I've been to a lot of South Pacific islands, and it's amazing to me. Not only do they make baskets from the leaves, you can make soap, you can make butter, you can drink the milk. The water from the coconut will keep you alive. There's food, get the coconut meat. There's all kinds of things you can do with a coconut tree. Tree of life, much more important. It provides something that perpetuates life So our cells right now, when you're young, you heal, you regenerate. But we're missing something because as we get older, we're not supposed to die. Just want to pause and get you to think about something. Every desire that people have, every normal desire, God has created a way for that desire to be satisfied. You get hungry, you eat food. God has created desires for companionship, you've got people. God has created us with a desire for intimacy in marriage, There's a way for that to be satisfied appropriately. Every uh, group of people around the world, we've all been uh, given from birth a desire to live. We feel like we're supposed to live. People avoid death at all costs. It's because God designed us to live forever. Death is not part of his plan. And one of the last things that's thrown in the lake of fire is death. That is not God's will. Number five. How will living in heaven be different than living here on earth? There's a lot of beautiful uh, uh, examples here. Here's some specifics. Tells us in Isaiah 35, verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Blind people are going to be able to see beautifully. And in heaven, whatever your vision is now, it's going to be infinitely better. You know, eagles can see three miles away. They can see a mouse. They got like telescopic vision. You will have much better vision in heaven. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. You'll be able to hear a rustle in the grass like an elephant from a mile away. You know, Superman had special hearing. I wasted my childhood, sorry. <laughs> You'll be able to hear everything. And it tells us that the, the lame man will leap like a deer. People in this life who are limping around and they're weak and they're lame, they're going to have incredible strength and they're going to be able to leap and jump. You read also, it says, and they will not hurt or destroy. It talks about the animals are going to all be kind to each other. A child will play on the hold of a venomous serpent and it will not hurt. The wolf will lay down with the lamb. You've heard these verses before, right? In the Bible. And nothing is going to hurt or destroy in all of his holy mountain. Got a little amazing fact for you. Several years ago, some uh, drug agents, they went into the, um, the apartment or the mansion of this drug lord, and he was busted. And in his basement, he had a lion, a bear, and a tiger cub. He had a lot of money. Now, I don't know if you know that uh, Escobar, who was the drug kingpin there in Colombia, he had his own zoo. I don't know what it is with these drug guys. They liked animals. So this guy, he had a a cub, a bear cub, a lion, and a tiger. And they were in terrible squalor in the basement. 
but they seemed to get along with each other. And so when they finally, they said, the police said, what do we do with these, you know? There was a group that had an animal shelter called Noah's Ark or something, and they took these animals in, and they remained friends. They called them BLT, for bear, tiger, bear, lion, tiger. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? But it's real. And they play together, and they, they fight every now and then. They eat together. When they go to sleep at night, they all curl up together. And you think, well, normally, in a normal habitat, they'd be enemies. In heaven, the animals will not kill each other. And everybody's going to be a vegetarian there in heaven. We're not going to be, you know, chasing down chickens and cutting off their heads and making McNuggets out of them. And so we're going to be eating from the tree of life. The wolf also will dwell with the lamb and a little child will lead them. So nothing dies in this kingdom. There is no more death. The desert shall blossom as a rose. You know, there's going to be places that will be of intense beauty and there'll be places that will be of wonderful beauty. There'll be no deserts where there is no life. Even the deserts there will blossom as the rose. The inhabitant will not say, I am sick. Oh, you say amen to that. We're just surrounded by news all the time of people being sick and being overcome by a disease or viruses or bacteria. Nobody's going to get sick. Nobody will die. You'll be in perfect health and vitality all the time. Won't that be wonderful? And the best news, it says there'll be no more death. No one needs to worry or live in fear about death. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. The former things have passed away. All things are made new. So, in heaven, are we going to be resurrected as ghosts playing harps? What, what's it going to be like? It sounds like we're living in real places. Jesus is making a mansion for us. It sounds like there's real animals in the new earth. What kind of bodies do the saints have? The Bible tells us. Philippians chapter 2, I'm sorry, Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it might be conformed to his glorious body. So here it's referring to the kind of body that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. That leads us into our next question. Is Jesus' body real or is he a spirit? Let's let the Bible explain this. When Jesus rose from the dead, that uh, Sunday evening, he appeared in the upper room to his disciples and he said, all hail. And they worshipped him and they were scared. They thought that they saw a ghost. And he said, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. A spirit does not have flesh and bone that you see that I have. He said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, touch me, he's saying. See, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He gave them every evidence he could probably present that he was real. Then after he said this, he said, Now that I think about it, I'm hungry. He said, Can you get me something to eat? And it tells us that that they gave him some broiled fish and the honeycomb, something to eat, and he ate. So what other encouraging promises found in the Bible? Other encouraging promises that we can look at. Speaking of heaven, Acts chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And that he might send Jesus Christ, whom the heavens must receive until the restoration of all things. So if you want to know something about heaven, just keep in mind that what God is going to do is he is going to restore his original plan. God is going to make things at least as good as they were, if not better. 
And people talk about, well, are we going to eat in heaven? I'll say, well, did Adam and Eve eat? That was part of his plan. He's going to restore that. Are we going to be able to, you know, run around? Can we talk to God? Did Adam and Eve talk to God? Yeah. We'll be able to talk to angels the way I'm talking to you. You know, there's angels in this room right now. They're real. And when Adam and Eve sinned, one of the consequences of sin was Adam and Eve lost a dimension of their existence. See, up until um, that time, Adam and Eve could commune with angels the way you and I are talking to each other now. And But when they sinned, they lost that whole spiritual dimension. That will be restored. But that doesn't mean they stop being physical creatures. They will have the physical plus the spiritual in addition. Restoration of all things. God's original plan. I know sometimes uh, I'll be renting a car when I travel. And, uh, you know, I, I'll rent the, the economy of the mid-sized car, whatever it is, and I'll get there. And the agent at the desk will say, you know, we've had some bad weather, and so I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. I said, all right, let me have the bad news. Uh, we don't have your car. I said, oh, what's the good news? They say, we're going to give you an upgrade. We do have a car, but we don't have your model. I remember one time I was in St. Louis, and I went to the counter to get my rental car. It's actually on my way to 3ABN to do some recording. And the gal that met me there, she looked at me and she goes, are you on television? I said, yes, I am. And I'm always happy when people see the program. She said, oh, I watch your programs all the time. And there's no one else there. I got in late. She said, I'm going to give you an upgrade. She said, how'd you like a convertible? And I looked out the window. I said, it's snowing. <laughs> she said, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. She said, we'll give you, we'll give you the... Um, the executive Cadillac. And I thought, well, you know, that might not look good if I get the executive Cadillac, but I really wanted to, I said, well, thank you very much. I wanted to be a pre, thank you. So they gave me this, this new Cadillac at the same price as my car, I'll have you know. I'm a pastor and we stay on a budget. And so then I drive to the church where I'm supposed to speak and I think, oh no, everybody's going to see me pull up to this car, this church in this Cadillac and so I got to the farthest part of the parking lot that I could, and I kind of waited till I thought that everybody had wandered in so I could jump out. I jumped out, and I went to lock the car. I pressed the alarm. And I went, bark, bark, bark. Everybody turns and looks at me, trying to turn off my Cadillac. So the Lord has a sense of humor. But anyway, God's going to give us an upgrade when we get to heaven. Those who maybe can't sing now, you'll be able to sing there, Right? Whatever you might be lacking in this life, he's going to compensate in the new earth. Everything's going to be restored or better. Who's going to be there? It says, these are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. You want to be in that kingdom? Who's going to be there? 144,000. It says they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now, here's a simple principle. If you want to follow the lamb there then, you must first follow him here now. You will not be able to follow him there then if you don't learn to follow him here now. Jesus says to each one of us what he said to the apostles, follow me. Follow his teachings. He wants us to spend time with him. Will any sad or painful memories from this life trouble people in heaven? No. The Bible says the former will not be remembered nor come into mind. Now, that doesn't mean that God brainwashes us so we forget that Jesus has redeemed us. You know, even in the resurrection, 
when Jesus showed himself to his disciples, did he still have the scars in his hands? He did. So there'll always be that reminder of what Jesus did to die for us and that he sacrificed his life for us. But uh, we're not going to have any of the painful memories. I don't know about you, but I, I frequently, my mind wanders and I go back and sometimes I think about things that I've done and I just sigh and I have my regrets. And even though I know the Lord's forgiven me, I think, oh, Doug, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And you still got it in your mind. As you enter eternity... How many of you know that it's true that time heals? As you enter eternity and you get away from the pain of this world, you know, after the first million years, you're not going to worry about it anymore. You'll never forget that Jesus redeemed you. This then connects with another important question that people ask about heaven. It says, will the people from earth recognize each other in God's new kingdom? Answer, then I shall know just as I am known. I have folks say all the time, um, you know, Grandma, when she died, she is kind of old and wrinkled, and when I get to heaven, she's got her new body, how will I ever find her? She's going to be this beautiful woman in perfect age, and we're going to be looking everywhere for Grandma that we love so much, and there's going to be so many people there, how will I ever find Grandma? Friends, don't worry about that. What do you think? When you get to heaven, are you going to have enhanced discernment or diminished discernment? You're going to have the Spirit of God. You will have enhanced discernment. You're going to know your friends. The Bible says, then we will know even as we are known. And it's going to be fun to see our loved ones and be reunited there and to see them. Sometimes we see our loved ones, they die painfully. I remember many times being at the bed of some saint that was passing away, often with sickness. And and I said, you know, just keep in mind, your next conscious thought when you open your eyes is going to be the resurrection, the face of God, and a glorified eternal body. Won't that be wonderful? And of course, it's going to be wonderful. Number 11. What thrilling promises does God give us regarding his coming kingdom? Answer. The ransomed of the Lord will come to Zion with singing and with everlasting joy. Everything is going to be wonderful there. And how long will our joy last? One of Karen's favorite verses is in Psalm 16 where it says, At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, The words to describe heaven, the human language is inadequate for us. You use the words like bliss and splendor and uh, just the the joy that's going to be there. God did not create creatures to torture them. God is not a sadist. God loves his children. And he wants to bless them. But because of our freedom, we've made choices that have brought all of this heartache. Because of his love, he wants to save us from that and restore us to his original plan. If you want to know what God wants for you, look in the first few verses of the Bible. When God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden after those days of creation, what does it say? It was good. God saw what he did. Good. Good. Second day, third day, fourth day. Good, 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 good. Finally, it says very good. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. In fact, in English, the word we use for God is connected with the word good. Like when you say good day, saying have a God day with uh, somebody. And so God wants to bless you. He's not wanting to spoil you, but he wants his creatures to be happy. He wants us to have joy. And the greatest joy is going to be in his presence. At his right hand are pleasures. This is a verse I just quoted you. Psalm 16, verse 11. 
and at his right hand are pleasures, how long? Forevermore. The Bible tells us that the streets of the city will be full of boys and girls playing. Now, um, people often ask, will there be children in heaven? So if, if grandma dies and she's resurrected, she's not old and wrinkled, she's got perfect eternal vigor and youth. It says, we will run and not be weary, we'll walk and not faint. Um, and so we're going to have that energy, that youth. But what about a baby or a child that dies or when they're young, if Jesus comes and they're caught up during the translation? Do they suddenly turn into adults? No, there's going to be children in heaven. You read in Malachi chapter 4, and it tells us that they will go forth and grow up. Now, frankly, I think they'll grow more slowly. Um, and I think I've mentioned that when, if you were here every night during one of the Bible question times, you look, and in Genesis, it's telling about the patriarchs. They lived hundreds of years. Some of them didn't get married until they were over 100 because it seemed like they just grew more, slow, more slowly back then. So we'll get to enjoy them growing up. The streets of the city will be full of boys and girls playing. Now today, if you're downtown, you don't tell your children, go play in the street. But in heaven, you'll tell them, go play in the street. Uh, don't have to worry about them getting run over by a, a drunk driver or anything like that. There's going to be plenty of room in the new earth because, just think about it, all the room we're going to save with no cemeteries. More and more people are, are using cremation because the cities are running out of real estate for cemeteries. And someone may have a question about that. There'll be no golf courses. I just made a lot of enemies. I don't know that there won't be any. There's no police, no morticians, no doctors, no lawyers, right? Because there's no law. There's no prisons, no hospitals. Think about all the space that we're going to save in heaven. It says, they'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And so God doesn't want us to uh, ever have to worry about fatigue. Now, some are going to ask, and you may put it in as a question, will we sleep in heaven? I think we're going to be able to rest and sleep, but it's not going to be the sleep of someone who's exhausted. It's going to be the sleep of someone who is just satisfied and resting. And uh, we'll be just regenerating every day. But um, it says we're going to run and not be weary. Will we be able to fly? A question that often comes in is, will we have wings? Are we able to fly? You have this verse in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. They will mount up with wings like eagles. And so I think, yes, we will be able to fly. Man is not going to be quarantined on this planet. Everything that God made in creation, he wants us to enjoy I can't prove it, but I've got a theory. Adam and Eve were able to see underwater. You know, a penguin, it can go down a thousand feet and it can see. Its eyes, it's got the most incredible eye. Its eye can dilate so that it can see squid a thousand feet down in the blackness. And that same penguin gets up on the brilliant ice in summer and its pupil dilates so it can see on the ice. And its eyes can adjust for water and its eyes can adjust for air. I think Adam and Eve, God made all these beautiful creatures underwater. I think they were able to hold their breath and go down and look at what God made down there. I think we're going to be able to fly with the birds. I think we're going to... How many of you ever sung that song, Rock of Ages? It says, when we soar to worlds unknown. I think that's biblical. I think we're not going to be quarantined on this planet. There's a place in Job, it says, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came from the earth. Here's this heavenly meeting, the leaders of other worlds 
we'll be able to go to those conventions in the galaxies. And I think we can't even imagine it, which is our next question. Can we adequately describe God's new kingdom with words? No. The eye has not seen, nor the ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. You know, I just, uh, last year I read a book, I'd done it before, but I read a book on Marco Polo. And as a young man, he went with his father, like 17 years old, to China, which was this massive empire. Credible technology. And millions and millions of people. And it was so much more sophisticated, bigger than what he had left in Europe. He came back after 20, 25 years living in the Orient and traveling the world. And he started to tell the stories of what was happening in China. Talked about this wall that was, you know, a thousand miles long. They said, thousand miles. You're exaggerating. Talked about gunpowder. Talked about paper money. Talked about all the incredible things and the inventions that they had. When he lay dying, it's true. He lay dying. The priest came to him and asked him to confess before it was too late. They said, you're soon going to meet God. You told all these lies about the land of China. Don't you think it's time that you confess and repent? And he kind of sat up and looked at him and said, repent. He says, I've not told you the half of what I've seen. That's always how I feel like during this sermon, is I'm not able to tell you a fraction of what it's like. But we need to be excited about heaven, friends, because if you believe that's where you're going, for one thing, it makes the sins of this world less attractive. Everybody lives in a particular way when you're getting ready to take a trip. When Karen and I were getting ready to go to Russia, we were going to be there six weeks after the Iron Curtain fell to do public evangelism. For the first time in 70 years, we could preach about Christ. We got a tape. We tried to learn some Russian words. Yapani mayo ruski. Harasho, dobre, spasiba. I can say a few things. But um, learned about the language, learned about the food, ate a lot of borscht. I learned how to say ice cream. That was essential. Morojene. Learned about the dress, learned about the climate. And we are so excited about this trip. If you're getting ready to go to heaven, you know they talk different there. God, you want God to sanctify your lips now, don't you? They dress different there. We should dress like Christians. They think different there. We should be pure in heart. And so we ought to be preparing for that new kingdom. Amen? What's the highest reward in God's new kingdom? Revelation 21, verse 3. God himself will be with them. What a wonderful promise. The best news of all, we will be in the presence of God. Better than the golden streets or being able to slide down the neck of a giraffe or being able to... You know, see all the the splendor is the presence of God, God himself. We've been separated from God by our sins. We'll be reunited in that kingdom. What will exclude people from God's heavenly kingdom? You read in Revelation 21, verse 27, there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles. You see, Jesus came to save us from our sin. Isaiah tells us in Ezekiel, Satan was cast out of heaven for sinning. We are not going in sinning. Now, I know we all struggle with sin, but you need to experience that new birth, a transformation that Jesus is offering you, where you've got the new mind, and you can have that, friends. Believe it's possible. Jesus would not do what he did to save you if it wasn't possible for you to be saved. He who overcomes will inherit all things. He's promised all this to you. How much better is eternity than this short life? 
How much better eternity in that world than the misery and suffering in this life? He's offering to you that as a gift. You cannot sell out eternity for this little grain of sand here. You've all seen it before where if you tell a kid, I'll give you $100 tomorrow or an ice cream cone today. I said, I want the ice cream cone now. And that's what we do. We trade eternity for just a bag of beans. What can I do about sin? The Bible promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you do that, Jesus promises that he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you pray that prayer, you ask Jesus into your heart, then at that point, you are on your way to heaven. Heaven is your home. Jesus wants you to be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. He's prepared a mansion for you, and he's paid the price for you to be there, friends. Don't you want to go? Isn't that your desire? What did Jesus say was a formula for success in this life and the next life? Here's the key. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else you need in this world will be taken care of. Your priority should be seeking after the place and eternity he's prepared for you. You know, I'd like to pray with you before we close. And I want to invite John to come up at this time. And Kelly, he's going to share a few verses from a familiar song. And I'd like you to be praying as he sings and as Kelly plays. And say, is there anything in your life right now as an obstacle to eternity? And say, Lord, save me from that. Set me free and help me to know that my name is in the book of life. He will do that for you.